0: Hello and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from Beyond Rights Chief Executive Kate Llewellyn-Jones, Distribution 360 Senior Vice President of Rights Diane Rankin, and Nent Studios UK Chief Executive Richard Halliwell, about how the distribution landscape is changing and the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead in 2021. With the virtual version of the 2021 London screenings underway, C21 has put together a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews to coincide with the event. Exploring the key trends and issues front of mind for buyers and sellers right now, the place of UK programming on the global stage and some of the shows to watch out for. In the first of these, Beyond Rights Chief Executive Kate Llewellyn-Jones, Distribution 360 Senior Vice President of Rights and Exec Producer Diane Rankin and Nent Studios UK Chief Executive Richard Halliwell spoke to Ed Waller about how the distribution landscape is changing and the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead in 2021.
1: So hello and welcome to the C21 Distribution Roundtable. I'm Ed Waller, Editorial Director of C21 Media. Now, with all the international buyers' attention focused on the UK this month due to all the screenings and other events taking place virtually, it's perhaps timely to take a look at the many and various issues, opportunities and challenges facing those in the international distribution sector. The past 12 months have been interesting, to say the least, and events of last year continue to have an impact on this year. So to help us navigate through these various issues and topics, we have a distinguished group of distributors. Reporting back from the front line, as it were, starting with Kate Llewellyn Jones, CEO of Beyond Rights, Diane Rankin, Senior VP of Rights and Exec Producer at Distribution 360, and Richard Halliwell, CEO of Nent Studios UK. Thank you for joining us for this distribution roundtable. So let's start with the obvious question 2020, how was it for you guys? I'm going to start with you, Kate, because amongst all of it, you managed to find time to merge with TCB Media <laughs> Rights. How was it?
2: Yeah, so uh, yeah, we had the added challenge of merging and integrating during the pandemic so um you know that was a in really that was a good opportunity for us to be very introspective about um who beyond rights is going to be so we did take that time to really focus in on our processes and systems and relationships and emerge future fits if you like so that's actually um created a lot of positives for us and we're really starting to see that now so that's that's been you know that was a challenging experience but it's it's um worked out well but in addition to that there have obviously been market challenges so you know we we've we've had to navigate that also Um, and you know clearly less content around and we're filling that now Um, but the industry has been so resilient and I think even even sort of from a buying perspective there was initial uncertainty but that's definitely picked up so you know we seem to have navigated it well despite all the challenges that we had.
1: Uh, Richard tell us how last year was for you. I
3: think what's been remarkable really is how quickly people adapt to changing and, and, and often difficult circumstances from a business perspective I think looking back we're stronger now than we were going into the pandemic from a from a performance point of view, you know, clearly there's been a significant impact um and continues to be a significant impact from the decline in the advertising market. That's certainly had a, a bearing on trading, but does turn out people do want to keep watching television. Commissioners keep commissioning, buyers keep buying, um, and, and the world does keep turning. I think, however, you know, beyond that there've been and continue to be some dramatic changes to the way we all work. And oftentimes that's positive and it brings out the best in people and, and, and needs to be innovative um, and to think differently about how you do things can be positive but I think you know we are all social creatures something is fundamentally lost through forced isolation and, and a lack of personal interaction um, it's important to stay connected to find ways to keep people engaged and, and frankly to find ways to keep an eye on one another from a from a well-being perspective.
1: Uh, Diane how about you how was how was uh, the last 12 months for, for distribution 360?
4: Similar to be honest and Richard I'm glad you kind of pointed out sort of the, the personal side of it a bit too because that's something thing I was thinking about it is it just, you know, similar Kate to that. We had took a pause at the beginning because it was a little slower and then it really picked up and we didn't have a downturn in the end. It just changed, but I can't, you can't pinpoint specific changes. It's just changed, but it feels busier than ever before. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure how much that is, how much we fit, fundamentally changed how we work because of not seeing each other in person. We have no downtime. There's no travel breaks. There's, you know what I mean? There's just that, that time doesn't exist where it did before. So we just fundamentally work differently versus how much is demand in the market that's changed. And I think it's probably a bit of both, to be honest with you. And I, th- I think that's going to be you know, far-reaching and continue to do so. There's there's no bouncing back to what we used to do. I think it's fundamentally changed in some way forever.
1: I'm going to pick up on some of those points uh, in the course of this roundtable. But I'm, I'm very interested in the, the, the idea that there was an acquisitions boom last, last year because obviously uh, the production freeze uh, meant that a lot of networks that had sort of moved into their original production strategies and, and were less reliant on acquisitions. Did they all reverse back into an acquisition based strategy? How, how did the, 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 was there a spike in, in acquisitions? Richard, let's, let's hear from you on that.
3: I think it is um, it's fashionable, isn't it, to say yes, there's a huge spike and all of us sitting on content did fabulously well out of it. I'm not sure that's universally true. I think there is truth to it. And in some cases, I think we perhaps, like other people, saw a rush to relicense from broadcasters who were perhaps cognizant that their pipeline needed shoring up and that they were were looking for light entertainment shows um, and they wanted to be certain they would continue to have access to those shows you know one real positive that we've seen that we didn't foresee is that shows for us like Doc Martin and Don't Tell the Bride saw a big uptick in relicensing towards the start of the pandemic shows that have always performed well but were you know somewhat taken for granted I suspect by buyers and we're now having conversations with those same buyers or colleagues of those same buyers about local remakes of shows that they've previously only wanted to discuss as, as tape sales so I'll take credit that. that was a big strategic decision and we definitely deliberately went into that but the truth is didn't see it coming but very very welcome it is too.
1: Kate how, what, did you sense a, a spike in demand for acquisitions or or, or or do you agree with more with what Richard said?
2: Yeah I think we've had a similar experience actually and I think it's really been about um, for us an uptake in content that has already been proven on the market but there's still um, places where it hasn't necessarily sold and that's particularly in sort of long-running series and returning series. We've definitely seen that. So that's been, like for us, that's been things like love it or list it or abandoned engineering, you know, that's definitely definitely been an increased appetite for that. And that has driven, you know, that's certainly driven sales. I think that's really helped. Um, But I tend to agree with Richard. We've had a very similar experience.
1: And Diane, a spike for you or or was it sort of?
2: A little
4: (coughs) bit different, I think, because maybe our catalogue's a little different where we have quite a bit of kids content. So quite a bit of a spike on the education kids' side early on, and that continued. That, would, I would say, was the light at the first part where it felt like it was going to slow down. So lots of um, upticks on non-exclusive sharing, super simple songs, type shows, uh, things like that, that uh, many different platforms and even broadcasters were willing to take on and take non on exclusively. So that was really positive. And we took, moved some lifestyle content um, from you know, a celebrity that we represent from Canada, Brian Baumler, into the US uh, with his series, Brian Ink, that they put out on HGTV as Renovation that I wasn't anticipating selling last year. So, you know, I think there was definitely some opportunities that came up.
1: That raises a point that I'm interested in that w- what your clients, how they reacted. Did they come to you and say, look, we need to renegotiate our deal terms because of what's happening? We need to have, uh, Diane, you mentioned growth in sort of non-exclusive uh, deals. That seems to be a, a hot thing at the moment. Lots of non-exclusive deals being arranged. And, and how did, did they say to you, we, we want to switch from, I mean, this slot used to be a drama slot and it's now an unscripted slot. How, how did your goal and platform clients respond to the changes
4: on well those for the kids and non-exclusive things were pretty much people that do kids exclusively in some cases so there wasn't a, a, a com i can't really comment on switch switching from a genre from one to the other you know moving slots around so they were a lot of that was in platforms um, where slots don't matter so to speak um on the unscripted side so we're, we're just only getting into scripted which I, you know the other guys are going to be able to comment more on the unscripted side i think that there was just holes that needed to be filled things that probably particularly in the u.s that would have been produced in the u.s where they had more of a slowdown on the production, you know on new productions continuing to be in production where canada and other territories didn't have as much but i think that the opportunity was in unscripted where there was holes in schedules. okay what are your thoughts on that question
2: Sorry, very boring answer but very similar because it was you know there- was about the gaps in the schedule so where where some of our clients you know maybe had had the sporting and live events and needed to fill fill those gaps it was really that was really about again those long-running volume series they needed to have the security of being able to fill those gaps for you know a a period of time and so for us that was the sort of the the new thing if you like that was the changes but not in that that particular content was already sort of doing well it just had new homes I suppose and I think you know that's that's definitely been a big change well a change for us not necessarily large but significant.
1: Mm. thoughts on how your clients adapted to the uh, to the changing market
3: yeah i mean i'd I'd love to say something different but truth is similar experience i guess one of the 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 slightly grubbier differences that we had to contend with through that time was payment terms because cash became important for all of us um you know we wanted paying sooner and they wanted to pay us later um so they that became a recurring theme that that we dealt with in good humor but nonetheless it was a real business issue for us and and indeed for the buyers
1: are you finding a a growth in this sort of non-exclusive or co-exclusive uh, deal making
3: yes to a certain extent you know I think you know on the one hand you've got the, the massive land grab of the global streamers who just want everything um, broadly speaking that's not universally true and on the other hand a, a necessity that you know a, a scarcity of content has required everybody to think
1: differently what about the actual process of development the process of pitching the process of, of getting um, marketing shows How, how's that changed in this environment Is, I mean there's obviously bits that are better bits that are worse which things are we going to retain do you think on the assumption that we get back to some side of normality. Richard, aiming that at you.
3: I mean, what we have found, and again, an, an apologies to just banging on about our own shows all the time, but you know, we produced close to me through the pandemic period and working with um, the Development Partnership. Um, that's in post-production now and will deliver imminently. We're about to go into pre-production on another show that we'll, we will navigate the, the production through the next six months and deliver this year. And, and what that's meant for us is a necessity to learn and learn really quickly on how to change and how to navigate the new norm. And that means that we are now, I think we've got a great story and a great opportunity to tell that story to other producers who are desperately trying to get into production. It gives us confidence when we're spending development money. It has meant we spend a lot more time financing, having commissioning conversations as much as distribution conversations. And we think it's an opportunity to the extent we're bringing in a new person who will focus solely on raising equity to finance institutional equity to raise finance for those productions. So confident are we now that we can navigate a very very different landscape.
1: Diane, what are your thoughts on that question?
4: Um I'd think that there's an element of, again, going back to that people have changed. People are not going to want to travel as much. There's still going to be, there's going to be the percentage of people that are going to be like, get me on a plane and get me to every event I can go to. And then there's going to be the percentage of like, I want to go to two events, cover all my business and be back home again. And I think that impacts us ongoing. For, so I was someone who worked from home anyway, because the, the, I'm in London and the, the rest of the companies in, in Canada. And it, it cracked me up that suddenly we had all this Zoom technology. I'm like, this didn't exist in February last year. It only came out in March. I'm like, we couldn't have done this for the last six years I've worked at this company, but okay, fine. So it's definitely going to stay. I think that businesses in general too realize that they don't all need to be physically together as much as possible. And it allows us to work differently and work more flexibly. Um, I think it allows us to work with our different production partners too. We're in different time zones better than, you know, trying to squeeze in, you know, just, it just changed. But I think that the development side, it's been able to be, because we're working from home, we're more ourselves. It's less of a you know, corporate performance kind of thing when you're having conversations with people outside of your own company. There's a little bit more humanity in what we do. And I think that our our relationships with people are have run deeper. And that's helped and absolutely benefited content development. Similarly to Richard, our overall business was able to, you know, produce several shows under COVID protocols last year, shows that were only, you know, pitched out and commissioned in that year, too. So it's just we've learned to work differently and we can still be successful doing Any
1: thoughts on that topic?
2: Yeah I mean I you know it is a similar experience and I think you know particularly sort of the world of Zoom or Zoom Doom as I keep hearing it called that has taught us a lot of things about communication and I think we're taking that back with us when we go back to some kind of normal. You know it has I think for us it has um, personalised communication more we are more accessible which is either a good or a bad thing I don't know but we don't have to wait for a face-to-face meeting as a reason to to progress business or conversations and we don't have to plan around an event and i think that's going to be something that stays i do think that the you know, i think we all do the face-to-face meeting is so so crucial for the innovative and creative part of our industry and we are a relationship-based industry so i think you know that's that is going to be very important but equally we we're, we're saying exactly the same thing that will be a purposeful and targeted return to markets and events and not least because there's a financial review of that as well you know we've learned that we can do it so you know there's there's that impact and from a point of view of how we're sort of um developing and pitching content you know and, and as a, and the production part of our business has you know adapted around the conditions and I, I think generally the production sector has adapted very quickly incredibly resilient and moved through that period very very well and we, we had that experience experience with Pooch Perfect which I think was one of the first shows to go into production in the first lockdown and it had to be adapted from its original format to um, work around the limitations but um, that's a very well thought out process that's worked well and, and we're seeing the results so that's a learning we're going to take with us to be more sort of resilient in terms of changes.
1: One of the things we heard a lot when looking at, at 2021 is there's going to be a shortage of drama and a sort of a, a plethora of, of formats that are developed with Covid friendliness in mind is that how has how the production freeze of most of last year impacted your supply lines to bring product to market this year what are your thoughts on that then richard
3: um yeah i mean quite clearly we were expecting a number of shows last year that we're now expecting this year and, and that is not necessarily a bad thing this year wasn't great for last year but you know it, it gives us a good opportunity to build on that Yeah, you know, the, the shows i was talking about the holiday and, and close to me there's an increased sense of anticipation for those shows because they are definitely going to deliver this year. and in- an, an increased interest from the market who's also facing that that scarcity of supply and dare I say an increased value to those shows as well so there are and I think it's important to look for the positive impacts of that Manhunt 2 coming from from Buffalo for ITV similarly a real sense of anticipation from the market when these shows are coming and and our ability to say yep coming this year you can schedule it
1: I mean that's one of the things we debate quite a lot at C21 obviously it's becoming more of a, a seller's market because everyone wants product more but at the same time the buyers are less able to to pay higher because of the challenged advertising market that's pulling the industry in two directions kind of thing Kate what are your thoughts on that
2: um, I mean, at the moment we're still really seeing the upside but I think it's a relevant point because I think as the market's becoming more and more fractured and I think that does come down to that that observation that of, of sharing windows right? I think as a distribution business we're going to have to be even more specialist in rights and more strategic about how we sell because inevitably you know inevitably that is going to happen especially with sort of emerging rise of the AVODs and the SVODs you know I can see how you know at, at some point point the consumer is not going to want to pay for 20 s4 um subscriptions so i think you know we're seeing the market on the audience so changing how they view programming and that's going to change how we sell programming but it's still playing out you know it's still it's still in flux and that even those channels don't know how it's going to work out and and those players are still emerging so it's definitely a time of change
1: so that's an interesting opportunity to talk about the streaming side of the conversation because obviously last year wasn't just about covid (laughs) and uh, obviously the, the multiplication of streaming services, Avod and Svod, has obviously impacted the market. Diane, what, what are the opportunities and, and challenges of that new streaming-centric landscape?
4: I think it was, I was thinking about this question earlier too, and in relation to like how clients just their acquisition strategies have changed, where we've seen like major players moving into the streaming business. That obviously didn't happen because of 2020. That was obviously planned before, but it just kind of aligned with it at the same time. So it's, I think, similarly to kind of Kate's answer on the previous question about where the, the financial. Model is going to change going forward because it's still moving. It's sort of the same on the streaming side. We, you know, you see, you know, Warner Media d- at their upfronts um, announcement, you know, where Cartoon Network is getting into preschool, and you know, the mer- HBO Max and how they're all merging together, and there's going to be more family programming and live action that wouldn't have been there before. It's created opportunities for sure. Um, I think on our side, that content that we wouldn't have been talking to them about before, we're now having conversations about that would have limited like that was a, that player didn't exist for live action or k- kids. on Scripted say for example now it does so that's a new client for us.
1: Richard what are your thoughts on the opportunities challenges with this new streaming landscape?
3: Well I mean there's obviously a a balance between the the enhanced suite of rights that those global streamers want to take and the territories balanced with um, you know just a, a proliferation of more buyers and I think broadly speaking those things do kind of commercially balance one another it'd be interesting to see what happens down the line if there is consolidation or if some of those buyers plans don't play out in the way you know to case point, how many subscriptions does anybody actually need but also I think you can only really play the ball that's that's in front of you and for us we've reacted I guess most markedly in our investment and, and acquisition strategy um, you know we've had to change the terms of our business for example where we do development deals with producers we now need to structure our deals such that they are incentivized to develop for global streamers and that we as a distribution business will not suffer too much from that reality that you know it's true that a, a share of a production premium will never outweigh the opportunity of an internationally distributed show. But at the same time, you're one and done. You're recycling cash quite quickly. You're saving time. And therefore, your your investment metrics change. Your ROI assumptions change. Um, and you, you put a value on the, the time you win by doing those sorts of deals and, and the speed at which you can recycle cash and reinvest it.
1: Great points. Kate, your, your thoughts on that, the idea of getting a, a lot of money up front and then just forgetting about it or doing it territory by territory, and and seeing incremental upsides, I guess, through the old traditional method of distribution.
2: You know, they both have their merits, but I think, you know, there's an increasing amount of focus on the um, way we're selling rights over a long period of time because there are more places to sell those rights and we are really seeing that change there are second and third windows and certainly more opportunities potentially for non-exclusive so I think you know that has to remain a key focus um, without at the same time you know missing out on those opportunities potentially for those you know those one big sort of deals I think that's something that is about working closely with our partners to understand it and at the same point as Richard I think we're very focused on the partnerships knowing that every relationship is different that we have to have a creative and innovative approach to financing investing in programming it's not one size fits all definitely not and we we have to be able to, to move with it so we're going to have to be very nimble
1: One of the things we, we're hearing a lot about is um, the fact that the Hollywood studios have now got their own D2C strategies and, and platforms in place there's a sort of a vacuum <laughs> being created in the in the market because they're not necessarily selling those shows to the third party channels as much Is that creating opportunities for platforms and, and networks around the world that previously would have got those Hollywood shows are now looking around for other content maybe from the UK from distribution companies like yourselves is that a real opportunity that's, that's coming our way let's start with richard
3: yeah I, th- I think so and i think if you if you take that along with the the effects of covid and a, and a scarcity of supply in general we are certainly talking to buyers now that we weren't talking to just 12 months ago and we're and, and we're engaging at a much more senior level of some buyers that we weren't 12 months ago so i think yeah, you know, it definitely is true on the one hand that sort of ring-fenced mentality means it, it's hurting because we're not getting access to as much content as we once would but that's a reality you know we've been been struggling with through the consolidation in the production space over the last you know three five years, but on the other hand, exactly as you say, those other buyers are equally feeling the, the the pinch of not not accessing that content as well. So they're really engaging with us. Which and again, I think that's why it's prudent to have an original strategy and to be creating your own content and/or investing at a very very early stage in somebody
1: else. Diane, your thoughts on the opportunities presented by this kind of streamers from the studios keeping their content to themselves?
4: I feel like it probably impacts the scripted space more uh, it just I, in my head because that feels more from where the studio business is not sort of my, my forte but for us as a business I think it will create the opportunity for our first scripted project that we're launching this spring, um, the Parker Andersons and Amelia Parker which is two inter- interconnected shows which is like a whole other interesting piece to it that it's two shows together but the demand for kind of clean family co-viewing is seems to be big and that isn't necessarily something that was coming out of, I think of the studio so much, so it's double edge win. Let's call it, you know, where they're doing their own thing. It's creating opportunities for us where there's demand for it as well. At the same time,
1: that brings us neatly onto the, the subject of sort of new content, new product that you're bringing to market this time. We've discussed the sort of production pipeline and the impact that that's had on your distribution business. Let's look at some of the shows that you're going to be showcasing to uh, to buyers that are all focused on the UK this month because of uh, various screenings events. Kate, let's let's hear from you first. Let's you you've probably got a selection of highlights from uh, your your library that you you could share with
2: us i mean i guess you know from a scripted point of view our key show is is um halifax retribution which um, was produced before the pandemic fortunately for us that sort of launched to great ratings in australia online and um, has recently been picked up by pbs so you know we've got high hopes for that and certainly tapping into that that crime drama area which is is ever more popular and another uh, big sort of area for us our first entertainment format pooch perfect which i've already mentioned you know that's ticking lots of boxes for our buyers. It's family. of joy happy dog crazy you know it's it's really really hitting the note and that's that's been very fortunate timing i guess but also it has been picked up um we have the australian version the uk version and it's been picked up in the us with abc and now in production and it's also been able to navigate around the around the sort of pandemic in terms of filming so that's that's um been very exciting and then the other area for us is our engineering sort of science and engineering shows which continue to be very rewarding massive engineering mistakes which is in series three and four and abandoned engineering which is continuing, and you know they just the gift that keeps giving.
1: Diane, what are what are your highlights of your slate right now?
4: Well, as I mentioned, our scripted. First, four into scripted with the Parker Andersons and Amelia Parker is uh, something we're really excited about. We just have always been a factual and kids' com- uh, company, and this kind of merges a little bit with the kids because it's kids and family. But it's two interconnected sitcoms. So the Parker Andersons is a blended family, and there's a 10 by 30 series. It's a half British, half American family that have blended together to create a new family. Hence the Parker. and it's two story worlds sorry single story world and two kind of views from that story world so amelia parker is the other series which is told from the youngest daughter from the british side of the the family um who has become selectively mute from the trauma from mother's death so you're seeing two two completely different angles of the same family and they can be they can be aired independently but they're kind of created so that they are back to back so it it creates one hour of, of programming around this one family and it's it's really quite unique so we're excited about about that on the other side is sort of escapist programming restaurants on the edge we're launching which was a netflix original but it's out of holdback and we're selling that to the global television community now which is sort of part travel part design and part therapy three experts go into restaurants that are on like in the most beautiful locations in the world with the best views but they might have the worst reviews and they need an entire makeover from the you know the owner's passion about running the restaurant to the food they're serving and how it's connected to the local community um so that one's quite fun and another kind of, as Kate was talking about, you know, the, the shows that kind of keep returning, we have All Round Champion, which is a kids competition series, kids, teens. Um, it's the top athletes in various sports from BMX to skiing to gymnastics who come to compete against each other in all of their different sports. And the, the trick is that kid doesn't do their, compete in their own sport. They coach the other kids in their sport. So you've got this really lovely, fun competition, healthy um, kids being active when they haven't been able to play sport. You know, it's a good kind of impetus to get kids, you know, off the couch and maybe away from some of the stuff that we're we're doing to make them, you know, watch from their screens. And then, oh, and the last one is a new kids animated series called Finny the Shark, and it is a spinoff from one of the Super Simple Songs videos that Skyship Entertainment did. They did their version of Baby Shark and created Finny, who was their lead character. And he was so popular that they have spun out their own little show. So they've done an 11-minute series featuring Finny. So those are the highlights for spring for us.
1: Richard, what are what are your uh, highlights? at the moment so the
3: first cab off the ranks I suppose is is Close to Me which is a show currently in post-production starring Christopher Eccleston and Connie Nielsen a psychological thriller based on a best-selling novel by Amanda Reynolds commissioned by BioPlay and in partnership with Channel 4 and part-funded by Dopamine and brilliantly produced by um, the Development Partnership through the the lockdown period then we have a show called The Holiday another scripted project in pre-production shooting in April again based on a best-selling book this time by T.M. Logan, that's a four-part thriller, commissioned by Channel 5, co financed by Night Train in Germany, uh, produced by Projector and Clapperboard. Um, Manhunt 2, Martin Clunes is back as DCI Colin Sutton, who was the policeman that brought Levi Belfield to justice, and that's uh, Buffalo for, for ITV. Manhunt 1 was a huge critical and um, and commercial success, so we're very excited. Um, and the market seems to be very excited um, to get a, a second run of that. And then on the non scripted side, we announced a big deal uh, last year here with um, with crack It Productions, which has been really fruitful for us, both in terms of volume and, and value. And we've got some more shows coming through that. A&E After Dark, Plastic Surgery Nightmares, uh, and my personal favourite, What Happened to Your Face?
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's, uh, that's a, a great cross-section of uh, your slates <laughs> and some highlights. So well, that's all we have time for, I think. So all that remains for me to do is to thank Kate, Diane and Richard for their time and their insights about the uh, ever-changing distribution business. Thanks very much indeed.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks, Kate Llewellyn-Jones, Diane Rankin and Richard Halliwell talking to Ed Waller. There'll be more about the London screenings in the podcast tomorrow and throughout the next couple of weeks. We also have a dedicated microsite focused on the event, so look out for that. And in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.